Well, welcome everybody. We are happy to see you here today. Uh, as Bill pointed out, the day after Christmas is always a strange day, and it's strange all over the country, actually. But it is good to see some folks that we don't usually get to see, and uh, we're missing some folks who are usually here, and they're off seeing other folks, I guess. Um, welcome to everybody that's online. We're grateful to have you with us as well. We are studying the story of Jesus. Tell me the story of Jesus. And you can start in that passage that we had read this morning in Matthew chapter 7. We're going to jump around a little bit, but if you want to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, or if you have the study sheet that was handed out, that'll be a, a good place to start. Today's aspect of Jesus that we're going to focus on is that Jesus came teaching the truth. One of the things that gets repeated several times in the Gospels is the fact that people were astonished by the words that came out of Jesus' mouth. I mean, he was amazing. He did all these signs and wonders and miracles. He'd heal people, cast out demons. But people were astonished at the words that came out of his mouth. There's one episode in John chapter 7 where the leaders, they send out police, essentially, to go and arrest Jesus. And some other stuff happens. There's some uh, background action going on. And then you, you get back to that story, and the police show back up empty-handed. And the authorities say, well, why didn't you arrest him? What's, where is he? Why, what's going on? And they said, nobody ever talked like he did. Nobody ever talked like this man. And apparently, what we're looking at is a case where the police showed up. I mean, you know, you know these police are there to, to do a job, and they know it's an important job. And when they heard Jesus talk, they realized they couldn't fulfill the job they were sent to do. Jesus was astonishing when he spoke. Matthew 7, 27 and, uh, 28 and 29 kind of ends the Sermon on the Mount, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, those three chapters in the middle of uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, with another testimony to the fact that when Jesus taught, people were astonished. Jesus had finished saying these things. The crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. If you've been hanging around Jesus or Jesus' people very long, you probably already kind of know what these crowds were feeling because you've probably had this experience. I know I have many, many times. The experience of being suddenly just struck by something Jesus said. Sometimes it's stuff I've read many times. I've, sometimes it's stuff I've had graduate seminars on, you know. And, but even so, all of a sudden, I read something or I hear somebody say something that Jesus said and boom, right in the awareness center, whatever that is. And that's, 
I don't, I can't prove this. But my guess is this. Every human feels that when they hear the words of Jesus. If they hear the words of Jesus. Every human feels the ring of truth when Jesus speaks. When Jesus speaks, his words ring in our minds as the truth. Now, that doesn't mean that people are instantly converted just because Jesus speaks. We know that's not true. The gospel story tells us that's not true. There were, there were people then who resisted. But what I'm telling you is, what I believe is, that every time a human being created by Jesus hears Jesus, there is a part of us as humans who go, yeah, that's right. <laughs> what he's saying is right. Now we can fight it. We can resist it. We can push it out. We can let the birds come and take the seed away, of course. But that's our natural reaction to the words of our master, that his words ring in us as the truth. And that has a fundamental and profound impact on the way you carry out your life when you talk to people who aren't believers or who are wavering in their faith. You don't really have to start from ground zero to convince somebody about Jesus. What I believe is everybody is already feeling that pull. And the more you fill your mouth with the words and stories of Jesus, if you really believe them, you are creating a strong incentive for the person you're talking to, to believe. And Christians, this is, this is our great, the great weapon of our warfare. This is our two-edged sword, is to, is to share with people the word of God, of course, but especially the words and deeds of Jesus. Because when Jesus speaks, his words ring in our minds like truth. Now, sometimes when Jesus speaks, he helps us recognize a truth that's been there the whole time. Sometimes when he says something, we go, oh yeah, yeah, I, I kind of already knew that. I maybe had forgotten it, but I kind of already knew it. Jesus says, so in everything, do to others what you would want them to do to you. This summarizes the law and the prophets. That's Matthew 7, verse 12. In everything, do to others what you would want them to do to you. Don't do to others what they do to you. That's our normal response. Don't wait for others to do what you want before you do what they want. That's our other normal response. But in everything, do to others what you wish, what you want them to do to you. That's actually 
deeply profound, but it's something we actually all know. Human beings know that. We find that almost, not quite, but almost in the words of Jesus cropping up in culture after culture, completely independently as far as we can tell, except for the fact that we're all created by Jesus. But, you know, we find that in Buddhist culture. We find that in Confucian culture. There's, there's actually a story about one of the students of Confucius coming to him and saying, you know, you've written, you've said all this stuff about how we should live. Could you summarize it at all? I mean, could you boil it down a little bit? I'm paraphrasing, but could you boil down your teachings, Master? And uh, Confucius says, um, yeah, what you don't like people to do to you don't do that to them. If you would master that, you would pretty much do most things right. And we find Socrates saying something that's very close to that. Rabbi Hillel says something like that. Great philosopher Immanuel Kant, he, he spends like 100 pages doing rigorous logic, and he ends up basically saying this same thing. We know this is true. You actually should treat people the way you would want to be treated. And when you deviate from that, you know in your heart you've done something wrong. Jesus just makes it explicit. Or Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, uh, treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is something we actually know even without Jesus' help. Jesus reminds us of it. But we all know, we've seen plenty of examples of people who spend their entire life their best emotions, their passions, their intellect, their talent, and their health on accumulating stuff, money and stuff. And <coughs> we don't really think of those people as living a good life, if that's all there is to them. We don't think of that as a happy life. Because that stuff is impermanent. Just the way Jesus says. Moth and rust and fluctuations in the market come in and corrupt. And thieves and the IRS, no, I won't say that. You understand, we understand that, and people have known that all along. And again, that crops up in culture after culture. Buddha says that. Several Hindu sages point that out. Confucius points that out. Socrates points it out over and over and over and over again. So did the cynic philosophers. This is something we know. If you invest your best life in just how much money you can get and how much stuff you can have and how many houses you have and stuff... You are wasting this precious gift of life. You need to be connected to something permanent. And Jesus says, 
Your treasure is where your heart's going to be. And so if you want your heart to be secure, put your treasure in heaven so that's where your heart can be too. We already kind of know that's true. And when Jesus says it, he reminds us of that truth. Sometimes when Jesus speaks, he's just reminding us of a truth that we already kind of know. Sometimes when Jesus speaks, he helps us admit a truth that we've been trying to avoid. I've had that experience lots. And you've probably had this experience too, where if it was anybody but Jesus, you'd be tempted to slap them. But uh, when Jesus says it, you go, okay, all right. I've had that experience a lot. And, and I have too many scriptures on this topic to list for you, but I'm going to list one. Do not judge. Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at that speck of dust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Boy, if I was anybody but Jesus, I would take offense at that, I got to tell you. So I don't judge. I'm just stating the way things are about people. I'm just, I'm just, you know, being honest. This one gets me, man. It probably gets all of us, but this one gets me. I've, I've done this, I've gone against Jesus on this one way too many times in the last few years. I've gotten, I have ranted about people because I think they're watching the wrong news channels. I know none of you have ever done this, but I've ranted because I think they're watching the wrong, they're just being fed lies. They're just, the news is that they're being fed is twisted and it's, you know, they're not getting the full story and they just buy it. They don't even go and check the facts. <clears throat> It'd be so easy to get another point of view and, 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 you know, look at news from other political perspectives. It'd be so easy to educate themselves. And, and I can honestly rant and be angry about that for days without it ever occurring to me that if other people can be fooled by the news they're reading and watching, and then there the words of Jesus are. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, Jim. The judgment you use, you will, by that judgment, be judged. You know? I mean, that's the truth. And when he says it, I know it's the truth. But it's a truth I've been trying to avoid. I've been trying to shut that out. Because it kind of feels good 
to feel superior to other people. Kind of feels nice. And Jesus says, it's not that judgment isn't real, it's real. It's just that other people's not the place to start. <laughs> you really need help yourself. You really need to be serious about your own failings. And only after you've really worked on those are you going to be in a position to do any good with the judgment capacity God's given you. It's a powerful teaching. It's an important teaching. It's one that all of us need to learn and need to benefit from. So sometimes when Jesus speaks, he helps us admit the truth that we've been trying to avoid. And those are precious times too. But this third one is the most precious of all. And this is why we really go back to Jesus again and again. Because sometimes when Jesus speaks, he shows us a whole new level of truth. Sometimes that happens. And this is Luke 10, so I am taking you out of Matthew for a second. Luke 10, starting in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? The teacher, uh, the expert answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, the expert did. So he asked Jesus, Ah, but who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus told this story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, and they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and he saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he was traveling, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. And he put the man on his own donkey, and he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So, Jesus asked, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The expert in the law replied, well, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do that. 
Sometimes Jesus says things, and as he's saying them, the curtain kind of parts that had previously hidden a truth. And we catch a glimpse of a new realm of truth, a new place of truth, a new level of truth that we maybe hadn't ever seen before. And this story, the story of the Good Samaritan, is one of the premier examples of this. This is probably the second favorite parable of all time. We had to rank them. And it addresses something that's absolutely universal. You can't find a human culture that this parable doesn't speak to once they understand what's going on. Because this parable is about who's in the in-group and who's in the out-group. Who do you want to have as your neighbor and who do you reject as definitely not your neighbor? That's what this parable's about. The Jewish people, this was race prejudice and religious prejudice and political prejudice all rolled into one. It was a nasty little bundle. The Jewish people had political grievances against the Samaritans. They had racial arguments against the Samaritans. And they had religious rejection of the Samaritans. And so, whatever it means for somebody to be your neighbor, the law requires you love your neighbor. Leviticus 18 says that. Whatever that means, we know for sure it's not the Samaritans. They aren't our neighbors. Our neighbors are good Jewish people. Maybe not all Jewish people, because not all Jewish people are good. But the good Jewish people, those are our neighbors. Which good Jewish? Well, it depends on which group of Pharisees you talk to, because some Pharisees won't associate with these, and others won't associate with these, and some won't let these into their synagogue. But it's a big controversy. Who's your neighbor? Who are you going to treat as your neighbor? Let's, let's figure out what that circle is. Who's in the in-group? And Jesus says... This is, this is what he does to our brains just by telling this story. Imagine you are beaten half to death and lying in a ditch beside a road. And you desperately need a neighbor to come help you. Who's in your in-group at that very moment? That's what this story does to our brains. You know, there are times we're feeling pretty cocky and we're feeling pretty, uh, pre pretty secure. And, and in those times, we can kind of afford to narrow our in-group down a little bit and be pretty horrible to the people who are in the out-group. So Jesus says, imagine that if you don't get help in the next hour, you are going to die alone in a ditch by the side of the road. Is there any body who you hate so much that you wouldn't accept help from them? 
Anybody? Anybody? No. Who was the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The one who helped him, the one who showed mercy. That's your neighbor. Jesus just kind of cracks open this whole system we tend to have of in-group and out-group. And he says, they're all your neighbors, man. When God says, love your neighbor, they're all your neighbors. All of them. And I understand that the world gets power often by by pitting groups against one another. The world gets power often by getting you to, to favor this group and to hate this group over here. Leaders sometimes can mind that to gain influence. But the real truth is this. They're all your neighbors. And the God who created you created them. And when he says love your neighbor, he means them too. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. If Jesus had only come and never said a word and died on the cross to forgive us of our sins, he would deserve every bit of worship we are capable of, folks. I mean, he would. You know? If he had never said a word. But that's not who he is. He came and he spent the time that he had to also give us these precious teachings and to put his spirit into his followers so that they could could learn more things that he didn't have time to teach. That's the way he describes it in the Gospel of John, the Holy Spirit's ministry in Jesus' followers. The truth that comes from the lips of our Lord has the power to teach us has the power to set our feet on the path, has the power to clear away blindness from our eyes, unstop our ears, and let us walk in God's light. Let's pray. Dear God and Father, we thank you so much for the truth that Jesus came to preach. And God, help us to love it more and more. Help us to to feed on it, to make ourselves strong on it, to chew on the hard parts, and to, to become stronger so we can understand even those. And God, help us to constantly, for the, all of our lives, be nourished by the truth that Jesus Christ brings. These things we pray in his name. Amen. If you need to respond to God's invitation, if you need prayers or help, or if today is the day you would like to receive baptism, we invite you to come as we stand and are led in song.